When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good morning, Maidstone. Something I've always wanted to say, David Miller. And now I've said it. Good morning, Netballsy. I have fulfilled a dream. Beautiful. It's Thursday. The sun is almost out. And it's the roads to Chateau Roux, which we're hoping won't be suffering from any kind of congestion today. The approach roads to Chateau Roux, running smoothly. Never Strays France is brought to you by Chapter 3 and The Roadbook. When I rode the tour, one thing I looked forward to every day was getting my musette in the feed zone. Although I've definitely had less hectic lunches. Opening it up to see what the soigneurs had included could be a guaranteed way to brighten the next 20 minutes of the race. We want to give you that same feeling, which is why we have created a special code for Never Strays France listeners. Spend £50 on Chapter3.com and we will include a free restrap musette with a mystery gift inside. Just like I used to get a mystery item in my musettes. Except yours will be a lot better than a pat de fouille. All you have to do is go to chapter3.com, spend £50 on any full price items, and use code NSF. That's the letters NSF. Very well done, Dave. That was very professional, I thought. Mine's quite short. Okay. Uh, the Roadbook Cycling Almanac are also delighted to offer Never Strays France listeners a limited time offer for 15% off our entire product range plus a complimentary red musette with nothing in it. Use the code Use the code TDF15 at the checkout. Just head to www.theroadbook.co.uk to complete or start your collection today. And also join the Roadbook Society and download for free an audiobook of how Cav won the green jersey. It's the second of our Never Strays France um, yeah. pods, isn't it, David? I know. Yeah. I'm quite impressed with those. We're kind of doing a lot of talking bags at the moment. Got bags of content this morning. To bags. Bring you all. Yeah, like a Santa sack full of content. David. Everything from... Actually, I don't know why this ra- local radio vibe is... good. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, it works. You can, you know, you've got a voice for radio. Thanks. You've got a face for TV. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could have gone all sorts of different ways. <laughs> and really did. Yeah. yeah. Um, now we've got lots. We've got from... Yeah. Some poetry. Got some poetry. We've got some football. Got some wall ball. Got some wall ball, more importantly. Yeah. Got some Welsh. Got some Welsh. Got some Cav. Got some Cav. I want to tell you all about a uh, the father of French Dadaism as well. That's going to be really. This is really good. The way we're doing this, I think, is really good. This is like a almost like a like almost like one of those sort of um, magazine shows on BBC One, isn't it? Coming up, it is a magazine got, show. Yeah, actually, we've just yeah. given a kind of the index of the show. Although we're not going to do, not got a particular order to it, do we? No, no. Actually, do we have somewhere where we're going to start? Chronologically through the stages? Uh, well, okay, so yesterday's stage was the individual time trial. Before that, two days ago, it was uh, Cavendish's win in Fougere. And I don't think we've podded since Tim Malia's uh, victory. I think the last time... Of course. I think the crash last day. time we podded was... Um, yeah, Crash Day. Destruction Well, Crash day. day 2. Crash, crash day, day 1 was stage 1, wasn't it? Yeah. And crash then... Day 2 was stage 3. 
Yeah, and that was like Destruction Derby Day. That was Madness Day. Although uh, it was weird. Yeah, that was Thomas Day. And then two days ago, <laughs> two day. days ago, it was the, the the Micro Strike Day. No, that was, yeah, that was two days ago, wasn't it? Yeah. That was two days ago. Yeah, no, Tim Malia Day is where we need to pick the race up. Um, And uh, yeah, it was horrible, that, wasn't it? it was, uh, I'm just trying to remember what happened throughout that day. Thomas, poof. Oh, that was quite funny. Should we be oh, honest? Yeah. Should, we, should we be honest? I'm not sure we can. How honest? No, I don't think we should be that honest. Um, so Gary and Thomas crash, yeah. and I was quite honest on on television yeah. about because we've got. Why don't Why don't we cut in the little bit where we we list the kind of the events, his crashes? Oh uh, well, I don't know how to get hold of it. That's why. Where I recorded it. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's brilliant. You <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You're really good at podcasting. I am. Yeah. I sneakily recorded it while you're commentating. Well, this was being honest, wasn't it? It yeah. was, um, yeah, you and, well, okay, well, let's hear it. Let's hear yeah. this little list of um, the incidents that have befallen Geraint Thomas at the Tour de France historically. Just concentrating on the Tour de France, we've already mentioned that big crash that really wasn't his fault at the Giro d'Italia last year, but put, put paid to his attempts to win that race. Just concentrating on the Tour de France, this is the list that we've drawn together. In 2011, he crashed on a, a descent on stage 12. In 2013, he crashed on stage 1 and fractured his pelvis and rode all the way to Paris with a fractured pelvis and Chris Froome won the race. 2015, uh, he crashed on stage 16 and that was the occasion where he was basically put into the lamppost by Warren Barguil, that famous crash. 2017, he crashed three times. He crashed on stage 4, he crashed on stage 8, he crashed on stage 9 and was forced to abandon the race. Two years later, in stage uh, on, on the 2019 Tour de France, he crashed on stage one and he crashed on stage eight and uh, snapped his uh, bike. And on stage 16, he, he crashed again and had another problem with his bike. That's, a, that's quite a... I mean, he's had a long and glorious Tour de France career, but nonetheless, that is, uh, that's a long list. Pete Kenyatt wasn't having that. No, Pete, well, that's, that's the, the point so of punditry. He was getting O'Leary on WhatsApp while we were talking, wasn't he? Yeah. Contesting. You. See, I, I sympathise um, massively with Gering because it is a recurring um, pattern and and it's just been his whole career. I mean, mm. the thing is, but the, the flip side to that is he's so incredibly tough. He's like, he's hard as nails and he's just, and he's so, he's got such a calm demeanor that he doesn't let it rile him but it riles i mean it riled it riles me because i really like him and it just gets so i'm just like oh not again Geraint. yeah yeah that, that's kind of what it is you. it really riles me because i'm just like gee yeah come on man just stay on your bike yeah because it was just another just innocuous random crash that a lot of his crashes just him on his own they're kind of totally self-inflicted yeah and 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 that had collateral damage for a very likable man who you know quite well as well. Yeah, not missing, yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, and it's one thing, but and it's not Geraint's fault because it's just just how he rides, and probably you're probably best not riding behind him because these things do occasionally happen. And Geraint, uh, Robert Hessing and Tony Martin were behind him. Tony Martin once again uh, was kind of one of the first victims of Geraint's crash. Yeah, but then on top of him came Guessing, and Guessing went down and snapped his collarbone, and ah. he was out. And and we actually thought. Geraint was out because he well, did I the whole lie down. Thomas thought that Geraint Thomas yeah, was out, didn't he? Because his shoulder was popped out. And yeah. <laughs> when they were lying down, they popped it back in and then he realised he could carry on. But he was three minutes back and it seemed all over. But... Can I just say, that's unbelievable, isn't it? To pop someone's shoulder back in there and then. 
I think that's what you have to do because otherwise it's the swelling. Is that what you have to do? You have to pop it in straight away because otherwise it starts to swell and you can't get it back in or it takes some serious normal people. Normal people in normal jobs would go, I'll take the afternoon off now, I think. Oh, I might go to A&E, you know. Yeah, you know. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, can, you, can I, boss, can I be excused yeah. work for the day? Yeah. Garen was really funny the next day when they interviewed him, wasn't he? He was. He was it was, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like, it was something like they're better off shoulders. Are, it was quite painful when it was out. And then when it was went back in, it was less painful. Stating <laughs> 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 oh, the bleeding obvious. But, but then what was interesting and to vindicate Geraint was that much later in the race, Roglic in many ways did the same thing, just yeah. kind of took himself down. In, and that, in, I think, is what really kind of set that destruction derby final off because yeah. it was already tense. And if you look at Roglic's career to date as well, he has exactly the same kind of behavioural pattern. He throws himself on the floor quite a lot. That randomly. Was, I think that was what was getting Pete. Yeah. Pete all riled on behalf of, because he kept saying, what, what about Roglic? What about yeah. Roglic? Yeah. I say that, Dave. What about Roglic? <laughs> like that. So he's going, yeah, it was a fair point. And then Pete yeah. was fully vindicated when Roglic yeah. crashed number one. No, it was crash number two for Roglic, wasn't it? Yeah, Boom. it was another one. And they've both been horrible, haven't they? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that happened, and then, then, then Tim Malia won the stage, and fair play to him. And Caleb Ewan went, ah, and Peter Sagan. Yeah. And again, on social, people are slagging off Peter Sagan. It was Caleb that took himself down and took Peter Sagan down. It wasn't Peter Sagan that had anything to do with no, that. No, it didn't seem like that. What What are people saying on social? What? They were, Peter were Sagan they? was taking a lot of flack. Yeah, it's not fair. Don't, don't, don't bag on Pete. I mean, he's a bit of an aggressive and bumpy rider, but he Hugely. it wasn't his fault. But on this occasion, it wasn't his fault. No. And he gets full cred for just never taking his hands off the handlebars in that crash. It was legendary. Yeah. And, uh, not, so act- yeah. and not activating his legal team. No, exactly. <laughs> for an industrial accident. He just kind of bounced around, Caleb got Ewan. up and just looked down on Caleb Ewan with disdain. Yeah. And just, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so that was that day. Yeah. Um, but just as importantly, we've developed a, a, something of an obsession brought on by Mitch Docker and our experience in Girona, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Um, that you heard if you listened to um, our special, our one-off special, still the most listened and downloaded episode in our mm, history, I think. Never strays far from, from Girona. Girona. Um, we, uh, we, that was the first time either of us had played wall ball. And um, inspired by that, I managed to buy eight a pack of eight wall balls i've mm. only lost one so far to it's take good. to take to yeah. the studios so and it's working really well you me and pete are slightly obsessed oh i love it you're the best there's no doubt about it thanks man you can deny it if you want no i'll take it okay yeah i but it, yeah i suppose i am you've got best. really long arms yeah and i can play with my left hand sometimes as and well. you, you've got a kind of boring game uh, you can use spin yeah i like spin I, yeah, I that's clever take, yeah and you've got a really boring defensive game plan i know it's good isn't it just weigh you down Wait for you to make a mistake. It's horrendous. Yeah, you're like the sort of Ineos train. You yeah, know, like you know. I am. I'm like a. I'm like a a, a crap um, old school England football team. Aren't whereas I? whereas Pete's the second best. To be honest, and I'm, I'm yeah, quite emphatically the worst, which won't surprise anyone. No, great, pretty well. No, well, you thanks. No, thanks. Yeah, but I am the worst. You didn't deny that. No, no. Um, Pete. <laughs> Pete. Pete, um, Pete, so Pete, he plays he, on emotion. He plays on emotion and it's so infuriating because he'll play these shots that have no dignity. I mean, I like to play back to the player and it's kind of gentlemanly. It's, it's sportsmanship. It's gamesmanship. Yeah. But Pete, at any opportunity, would just slam it as hard as he can on the floor, bounce it over my head. You're basically... And it's just infuriating. So I'm like, that's not... 
Yeah. Ball, ball. That's not down ball because we do down ball and wall ball. Yeah. Because if we can't use the walls, if we can't use um, small wall or, or te- technical wall, technical wall. Well, we could, we could, technical would be perfect, but we make too much noise yeah. for Gary and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we don't do that. So we're not allowed to do but that. But yeah, so that's been great. That's a nice little livener when we have our kind of dull moments. Yeah. But you know, you know, you're like, sport. you play like Primoz Roglic on his, on, mm. at, his, at his best. You play like Primoz Roglic at his best. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Occasionally, you'll kind of, you know, launch a, an attack yeah. later on when it, when you really need to. When you think mm. there's an opportunity yeah. without jeopardy, yeah, and you're feeling that confident, you'll do that. Pete's Alaphilippe. Oh, he's just like he's, he's windmilling. Win- win- he? He's windmilling. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's just annoying. And he gets so worked up, yeah. and he's and he's and he's got surprisingly weak hands. Yeah, because our first game is like hands are bruised and yeah, <laughs> Pete. <laughs> but it was why while we were playing down ball in the car park because we couldn't have a wall because we, the walls were forbidden yeah we're like that we had kids. we had an encounter yeah. We, yeah 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 let's let's see what happened now we we just uh, completed stage three of commentary oh, and messy yeah it was um on on many levels uh it was it was complete carnage, uh, but we'll come back to that. And we had to come out and and release the stress that we'd endured. Well, it was quite funny, wasn't it? Because we just finished commentating. I think we finished commentating the podium, and I we both had simultaneously the same thought, which was, "Oh, I, I want to go and play wall ball." In fact, not I want to. I've got to go and play wall ball now. Yeah. And we came out here. We've got two walls, haven't we? Yeah, two. What? One which we're not allowed to use. Um, it's, it's the best wall, isn't it? We're looking at it now, and it's kind of like it's um. It's got a bit of a fire hydrant or a hose to the left, a few bins, and a very technical bit on the right, and then it's got very uneven. Oh, the ground, so, it's the ground that really kind of makes it. And there's yeah. some bins, and there's a bit of a rebound, and it's and it's got and it's got a fire door on one side. Yeah. But the problem is, is it's about ten meters from our the director of our commentary truck, and also Gary. Uh, and Gary Imlac. Gary's working on his scripts, and he, he leaves the door open. He doesn't really want the sound of. The ball going plat, plat, plat. and more to the point are excited giggling because we can't we have to giggle when we play wall ball yeah it's part of the game isn't it because we just end up dancing around and 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 surprised when we do something good yeah yeah whenever you do something good it just makes you laugh for some yeah. reason anyway the other wall that we, we've recently started playing very small wall mm. small wall it's called i've just small, i've decided it's called small wall but some footballers park their Mercedes there because we're sharing this space with the football people aren't we talking of which then, then you said well why don't we play so we couldn't find a wall and you said why don't we play down ball instead which is basically like you find a line in the grounds and it's like tennis except you have to bounce the ball over the imaginary net the net doesn't matter you just got to get it over the line wall ball without wall it's like tennis ball it's like patty patty tennis so we're playing that and it's actually a really good game we're quite enjoying it and we're getting quite competitive and all of a sudden this Range Rover Pulls up and makes for actually just to correct that it was a Land Rover Discovery, black, quite a, quite a normal Land Rover Discovery, not latest generation, so it could have been anybody. So anyway, and we have our fo- we put our phones down on the floor to make to to create the the boundaries of our court. So we're a little bit, and I was a I was being a little bit adge, and I was like, hang on, we're playing. Don't come in here. Don't park here. You were properly up for a little bit of making yeah. statements. Yeah, I was. Yeah. And then, and then like, he was—he kind of like respectfully stopped, but then he was kind of saying, "Look, guys, I've got to get through there." And I looked through the window, it's slightly tinted. And I went, oh, it's Roy Keane, isn't it? And I went to David. David, it's Roy Keane. <laughs> At which point you went, "Come on, that's fine, fine. Here, where do you want to park?" Like guiding him in. 
if we <laughs> better turn. But then we keep playing, like in different discs, we don't really mind bother that it's Roy Keane because it's all a bit weird here. And you're just killing me on every shot, and we're running around, and we're both, in, right now, we're incredibly sweaty. <laughs> incredibly sweaty. And um, after about three minutes, he might have just doing some messages on his phone. Yeah. He steps out of the car. Yeah, and he says, and he literally, and I know, because I've, I've worked with Roy a little bit in the past, so I know when he's joking, he looked at you and he goes, he goes it's a proper game, that. And he meant it. He meant it. He said, we used to play in Ireland, and we used to call it handball, but that's odd, because handball's a game, isn't it? That they play in Finland. Anyway. But he was but he was genuinely sincere. It was like a reminiscence of his youth. We used to play that in Ireland, handball. So, yeah, but we keep encountering people, random people. I used to play that at school. But, but it's, it's warball, handball, it's different names, it's downball. It's From Hong Kong, it's downball. Yeah, it's really good. But just to conclude this, um, I, I got grand slammed by Ned in downball. Yeah, he did. I mean, so the current standings in our World Series of Warball between you and me is 3-0 to Miller. I haven't, got, I haven't taken a game off you yet in Warball, either on technical wall or on small wall. Um, it turns out, <laughs> with Danball, I'm world class. No, maybe not. I'm we, overstating it a bit. No, but we did have a rally where it got to the end when I had lost the point and I said, my God, we're like Nadal and Djokovic. Yeah. Because the ra- Did I say, oh yeah, I said Federer because I like to think I'm Federer. You can be Nadal. But no, is that okay? Which is quite weird because my whole say, family loved Nadal. I was going to say no. I'd like to be. Then I couldn't think of a single other tennis player. But uh, but yeah. So it was. Um, it's been a, a, an eventful day. So that was our, our stress release. Said, the other thing he said before we went to work was he said, "Careful, lads," because he's looking at how sweaty we were and panting and all that. So I said, he said, "You're not the youngest anymore, didn't you? Be careful. You might hurt yourself." Because yeah. there was that horrifying statistic from the 1980s about squash players. Wasn't it? So, the sports that, that caused the most heart attacks for men, middle-aged men in the 1980s was squash. And I feel that wall ball and um, down ball could be we were on the fringe. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah, stage three was, stage three was good. I think Pete and Matt are waiting for us to do the ITV podcast. We've got to go do the other podcast. So that was um, Monday, which seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Now we're on Thursday. And, um, and then, then the next day... The next day, David, was extraordinary, wasn't it? Tuesday was an amazing, amazing experience. I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say man. Like just being here is special enough, you know. Didn't think I'd ever get to come back to this race. Oh, it was just... I had... It started off, you know, with me... I had breakfast. I, I came to the breakfast room roughly the same time as you. And I bumped in, and by now you might be aware that we're staying in this big hotel with all the ITV football team. Yeah. And um, I, having had this brief encounter with Roy Keane yesterday, someone I worked with a little bit when I was still doing the football, mm. um, I then I then went to and uh, uh, had breakfast with him, and he was absolutely hilarious. And I was asking yeah. him about, no, he was asking me about the Tour de France, and I was mm. saying, yeah, it's got off to a great start. He goes, and, I, and then I was surprised, I said, Roy, I'm genuinely surprised that you kind of know what's going on a bit and that you take an interest. He goes, I won't do the accent because it'd be offensive to people listening. <laughs> I did it to you, but I'm not going to broadcast the accent. No, it was, I thought it was good. I think it's a reasonably good Roy Keane yeah, impression, but there'll be very, people who will, will take exception. Yeah, you don't want to get on the wrong side of Roy Keane. No. And, um, but he said, are you kidding me? He said, uh, back in the day, Sean Kelly, Stephen Roach, legends. You know, I'm mm. Irish. How, how else would I, mm. you know? And I said, I said to him, do you, you know Sean Kelly? And he goes, yeah. 
Hmm. He must have been at loads of events with Sean. Yeah. I don't think he knows Stephen Roach terribly well, but lots of people don't know Stephen Roach. No. He's a man it's of mystery, isn't he? Enigma. He's an enigma. But Kelly, yeah. And, yeah, uh, and Roy was speaking really highly of Sean Kelly. And then he was telling me about how he's got a road bike and he rides around. He lives in the Greater Manchester area, Altrincham's kind of area. And he's, he doesn't go out for far, but he take, you know, goes regularly just riding little bits and pieces. Huh. And he's saying, you know, this whole... He said to me, this whole thing, this whole supposed war between cyclists and motorists, he said, it is all the motorists. Yeah. He said, you might get one or two idiots on a bike, but mate, he said, until I'd experienced what it feels like to have a close pass from white van and the way people mm. disrespect her, it's all the motor. He was really emphatic. And I was thinking, man, we need someone like Roy Keane to come out and say that. Yeah. It, you know, it's brilliant. Because that's that, it's that whole demographic that... Completely. That are kind of believing that so yeah, yeah having Roy Keane as would an be advocate, an amazing asset for the cycling community be huge. so I'm going to work on him on work that. on it yeah next time he comes back yeah. you keep pointing at random cars because that's his car because yeah. you, you've got an, an absolute so. inability to recognise a car so it's just like, he's no, got one of those not. Land Rover Discovery things yeah. hasn't he? no, it's Rover no, thing. yeah. no it's not Ned no it's not Ned yeah. so we're waiting for him to turn up again <laughs> well because I'm, I'm going to schlug him and pester him and try and get him on the podcast I can't guarantee but I want to because he's got a great story about getting a road bike and then he's even more mechanically inept than I am. To wit, the one skill I have, which is reinflating a tyre, he can't even do that. Oh, legend. And he's never tried. That's good. The first time he got a puncture in, on, on, on his road bike, not only did he not repair it himself, he threw the bike away. Got another one. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. That's how my Tuesday started. Yeah. And then it ended... It ended in terms of, well, about 4.30 in the afternoon. It ended like this. It was just breathtaking because I kind of I, I did believe massively he'd do it, but I didn't really think about what it would feel like when he did it because that that's what it was, and that's what I found the amazing outpouring on social and everywhere and just everywhere and the team saw Gary even jumping up and down kind of no fact I saw it on our How, did you mic- see that I saw a micro monitor yeah yeah you got um, any footage to back it up no it was in my head I do Gary Humilet doesn't jump up no he did it's like ugh, jumping arms in the air just kind of like yeah wow and I, and I think that's what I found fascinating about it was that it was the first time there's been a unanimous emotional outpouring from Mark Cavendish that's been out. everyone's reached a consensus yes exactly Everyone's I mean it happened in 2011 uh, in Copenhagen when he won the world championships but he was still Mark Cavendish at his peak and he, he was uh, how would I put it uh, unrelatable because he was like one of those alpha athletes and kind of he had his, his mouthy calf and 
And so there's a lot of respect for the performance and the grandiosity of getting the, the rainbow jersey, second ever rainbow jersey for GB, etc. since Tommy Simpson. But this time it was something completely different. It felt like everybody was empathizing and sharing his feelings because and there was something else about it i think the journey he's been on the last four years five years has everybody could relate to that and as she started to feel sorry for him and pity him because it was like cav you gotta let it go just let it go and he couldn't let it look it felt borderline undignified for such a great yes. champion didn't it yeah and and even i was kind of i've been thinking just mark you've just got to let it go and there's two things that he didn't let go. And I think this is one of the things that people can appreciate. He loves it so much. He loves the sport. It, and it's not just the winning. It's not just everything it's brought him. He's so passionate. And that's the reason he could endure all that the last four or five years, because he didn't want to let it go because it's his life. It's everything he lives for. Mm. It's, it's what, it's what makes him Mark Cavendish. And I don't think anybody really realized that. I think everyone just thought he was just a winner. He just loved winning. And, yeah. And that's very interesting you say that because it's just reminded me of the earliest flickerings of indications that some sort of form was coming mm. back mm. at the v- very one of the very first series of races this year. And I can't remember which one it was. I don't think it was a race even as big as Scale de Pérez. I think it was mm. one of the, not even a semi-classic yeah. in Belgium. I saw him do an unusual amount of work on the front. Yeah. And uh, I thought, oh, he's actually in this race. And then mm. uh, there was a split. And a gr- as, as happens in those kind of races, and a group of twelve riders, hitters got away, and he was in it, mm. right? Oh. And he was, and he was part of it, and he was in the race. And that was the first time he'd been in a race, yeah. for a long time. Now it wasn't just, it wasn't what we're seeing here. It wasn't kind of a, a formulaic mm. bunch sprint sort of situation. A different sort of set of circumstances, but he was racing. Yeah. And the next time was I, I. It was a race in Spain, I think, or where he'd actually been dropped on a climb, but instead of just. Uh, that it just pulling he was and I think that he might have had a mechanical or something he was trying to chase back on and boy was he going deep and looking quite and it was he was successfully closing the gap as well rather than just throwing in the towel and I thought this is these are signs that back up everything you say he just loves racing he just loves it yeah. I mean and the thing is cause I've known him since so I met him first in 1999 no when was, yeah when he was 14 13 huh. or 14 so I, I was know. racing on the Isle of Man I was in the Isle of Man International okay and and he came up and he was just he was a fan and, was, and asked for a photo with me. <laughs> I got this picture still. Oh, that's but there's, a but there's yeah, there's a story with this. So so and that was just he was just a young fan that came up and I just lost the time trial and I had a bad day and I was actually going out to do two laps because I was a train for the, the race the road race which I then won. For and today's so, pod, we should we should put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put the picture. You know, in the show put notes. that picture if you've got it. Um, and so then that was 1999. Then it was in 2000. During my ban, I spent a lot of time in Corata in Tuscany, yep. staying with Max Chiandri. British ca- uh, Yeah, and Max Chiandri was looking after the under-23 team. And Mark Cavendish was one of that team. And uh, I'd train with those guys sometimes. And it must have been in the spring. Oh, was it? Yeah, 2006. Um, it might have been, yes, definitely spring or summer of 2005. And I went out for a ride with one of the guys. And it was this, this little kid, Mark Cavendish. And he's in his GB kit. And he was racing for Team Sparkus, which was this German team at the time. And and we went out and we just Sparkasse. rode... Sparkasse. Sparkasse. Mm. There you go. Oh, Sorry. That's okay. It's not really important. Um, and we were out riding and I'd never met... And he just wouldn't stop talking. And and I didn't... At that point, I didn't know we kind of met 
like five, six years before. And, but he was telling me how he was the fastest sprinter in the world. <laughs> and we were going out climbs and he was just bright red and he mm. was breathing so hard. And it was like, and he was, he was chubby kind of kiddie, like junior almost Cav. But he was telling me about the race he was winning and how he was the fastest and he could just win sprints so easy. And he was going to be the fastest and best sprinter in the world. Mm. And I got back later and I said to Max, and I said, is he crazy? Who's <laughs> <laughs> that kid? And I said, no, I mean, he is crazy, but I think he is really good. Mm. And then that was 2006, 2005. And then two years later, he came on the scene in 2008. And then I, was, I tried to recruit him onto Team Slipstream. I went and spoke to him with JV. Yeah, we tried to get him on there. Couldn't get him off T-Mobile. And then we would kind of cross paths and then GB racing 2010, we went together to Melbourne and it was just me, him and Jeremy Hunt. And we spent three weeks together, me and him rooming and, and uh, we went to the Commonwealth Games in Delhi and we became really good friends. And then 2011, we had the Copenhagen Worlds where I was road captain yeah. and he was obviously our leader and I was kind of in charge of the whole race and, and he'd come to a training camp at my house kind of the weeks before. And so that we kind of had this relationship that was going through, but we never raced in the same professional team. But I saw him grow. And, and then during that time as well, you know, he'd always get into trouble at Tour de France and sometimes and Renshaw would get in fights or he'd get crossed up with something. He'd always message me in the evening to ask <laughs> my opinion to get me to vindicate. Yeah. And so I was like, kind of, he probably did it to a lot of people because he always needed to kind of yeah somebody. And he kind of treated me always as that person, Dave. It wasn't bad what I did, was it? And it was like, and he's like, yeah. always wanted that How did you deal with that? Because it wasn't always clear cut, I wouldn't imagine. No, like I kind of, I, I, I mean, I'd tell were him. Were you honest it, with him? Or yeah, yeah, I was always him? honest with him. It's interesting. I was always honest with him and kind of, and which I think that was our relationship. And then we did the Olympics and that didn't go to plan. But then the kind of, we grew through this whole thing and I saw him over the years and, and I kind of felt, and that's why I had such a connection to him in the last few years, because I've been the end of my career is like that. And for the majority, and I'd say 19, I'd say almost a hundred percent of professional cyclists, the end is brutal yeah. and it's a descending spiral. Yeah. And it's once it starts, yeah. it's, it doesn't stop. It's just so interesting to think because Cavendish's career will end. Yeah. N how now yeah is it gonna when and how is just a it's a whole different question for another day but it's, just it's a of, whole different question you know, it was quite clear how it was going to yeah. end yeah a week ago yeah and now it isn't and and i think just on that because although i've got that connection i think the whole cycling public have that because and, and you you brought this up in commentary that two-thirds of the peloton in this year's tour de france were, under, were children yeah yeah were, we're children, children yeah. when he won his first stage in 2008 yeah and that's I mean, a roadbook fact. Yeah. It came from our statistician oh, roadbook, road yeah. And, and Tali Pogaccio was seven, you know, when, yeah. when, when he won his first age. And, and I just think the whole public have, have grown to, to, they've gone on this journey with him yeah. and he's made a lot of them fans. Everybody felt it deep down yeah. because they, they felt that they were part of it. Yeah. It wasn't just him. It was they, it was, they literally viscerally felt like they'd won as well because he'd done it. He'd, he'd proven that it is possible. And then if you don't give up, that if you believe in yourself and it's just something really romantic and that only happens in sports and it yeah. happens very rarely. Yeah. And it's a really lovely contrast to the Mathieu van der Poel moment, which was very different, but similar. And this one. So yeah, it, it was pretty amazing. Our um, job is a very privileged job. We enjoy it hugely. That was one of the most exhilarating rides. I think we both had as, as commentators. In fact, there've been a few already. Mm. I mean, the van der Poel day was, was not dissimilar, oh. but yeah. um but uh, yeah, I think everyone who's, you know, there are lots of commentators across the world watching the same pictures and trying to summon up the same sort of mm. uh, words. And now, 
Perry, who wrote our who writes our jingle, um, also commentates um, for S4C, doesn't he? Uh, for the Welsh language channel, and um, he posted. Now I've, I've just got to get the, his co-commentator's name here, Dave. Have uh, you got it? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. looking through the WhatsApp. Yeah, anyway, um, well, perhaps we can back reference it. But um, it's really, really lovely to hear how S4C called home exactly the same uh, thing as we did. Um, and it's brilliant. I don't understand a word of it except for the names, but it sounds amazing. Says Ball, Ball, Cavendish, Philipson, Philipson in Cavendish, Mark Cavendish, Mayanol, Mayanol, Mayanol. Bidigol, yes, we've three digging in Mark Cavendish, but the arrows Pimla Nevam Honor, on Oninse, Oninse, my Mark Cavendish, our Ben Beard, in Wifeto. Wow. So the lead commentator there, you can hear Perry just coming in at the end, just saying, wow, wow. But the lead commentator, credit to uh, my commentating colleague, who I've never met, but he's got a wonderful voice and and, uh, sounded brilliant, uh, Gareth Rees-Owen. Straight away after that race... Basically, we had one game of wall ball. I think I lost quite heavily. And then and then we went to our production office and uh, the guys had rigged up the England match. Uh, that You had a passing interest in England-Germany. I had my England top on yesterday. Oh, I bought for 12 yeah. quid. Yeah. Um, two days ago, I bought for 12 quid from Tesco's. And um, you were immersed. I was fully immersed. But I do invest, you know, I've, I've spoken about this in the past, maybe not on this podcast, but I care. I, I care. I, I care about this England football team. Yeah. This is a very, well, it's not just Britain, across the world, countries, families, cultures are very divided and polarised at the moment. Yeah. And England in particular is a very, very uh, fragile enterprise at the moment. And the disunity is kind of, um, feels rather alarming at times and seems to be travelling in the wrong direction. Mm. And you, you, to, in order to address this, you think, well, how can we reach across the increasing strange chasms that have emerged and these cracks between the generations, between urban life and rural life, and um, across the culture wars, across classes, socioeconomic groups, across races, across um, across uh, genders, mm. across uh, all sorts of different fault lines in society? How can you how can you even begin to reach across these things? The answer is not in lots of ways you can't. Right, this is a long-term project that has a life of its own. But there's one little sticky plaster that most people would accept can just make us feel a little bit better about ourselves, and that is the England football team. The England rugby team wouldn't do it. Mark Cavendish, bless him, can't do that. Mm. Us lot, us schlugs who adore the sport, we we understand. But there's a large bulk of the population to whom Mark Cavendish's achievements unfortunately mm. remain hidden and meaningless and totally overshadowed by when England yeah, beat Germany yeah. at Wembley. For, yeah. Very unfortunate for Mark Cavendish. But I'm, I'm invested. At half-time, uh, you asked, we did a little bit of punditry, didn't we? Kind of, sort of. So for those of you who don't know, Ned Bolting used to work in football. In fact, he had breakfast with Roy Keane this morning um, and he's wearing an England Three Lions t-shirt right now. What are we doing right now, Ned? We're watching England being um, footballists of uh, mediocre talent. <laughs> is, is this a surprise to you? Not really. I'm 50. Well, I've lost track of how many. 50-something years old. And uh, all my life it's been the same. But I like this team. I've, well, I like every England team. I particularly like this England team. It's quite funny watching it with you, though, and Pete Kenyuk. Pete Kenyuk just came up with some excellent football punditry, actually. He did, 
You just came up with some excellent football punditry. What have you thought about this first half of the England-Germany match? Uh, actually quite good for England. A few chances for a change as opposed to passing it sideways. Uh, when it comes to football, I'm quite the professional in punditry. Better than cycling, actually. I'm surprised uh, ITV or the BBC haven't come in for me. Uh, too expensive, probably, to be fair. Um, but yeah, no, it's looking hopeful. And uh, what is this podcast for? Oh, so I'm never straying far, too far. <laughs> Trying to, anyway. But, uh, and then, in the end, they won 2-0, and that was, um, from my point of view, happy. And so much to that as well, which is another romantic story, is the Gareth South- Southgate kind of overcoming Germany in, in, in Wembley. What was it, 25 years later? Was it? What's amazing. Yeah. So Gareth Southgate, when he stopped being a... Um, when he stopped being a club manager, came and worked uh, uh, with us at um, ITV for quite a while when I was still covering Champions League football. And I remember one occasion, David, where I think it was the eve of the 2012 Champions League final and we were all in Munich and TV production teams, you're only used to the ITV uh, cycling one, which is pretty small. TV production teams, as you will understand now, are huge. Um, Dozens of people. And uh, on the eve of the match, all the production team, most of whom Gareth didn't know terribly well, uh, were in the bar in, in the hotel in Munich and Gareth Southgate went up, got, got an order from the bar for every single one of them and personally went to buy them all a drink and took the drinks back round and handed them round. And then uh, because there were quite a lot of people, that took quite a long time, we were all standing around in a slightly awkwardly large circle. <laughs> Do you know, yeah, you, know yeah. where you end up, it's kind of like actually too big for anyone to have a conversation. So I kind of took the lead and thought, well, let's... I tell you what, let's play, let's play, where were you when Gareth missed? <laughs> and he was stood there with us. And every single person could remember. I mean, I remember very clearly. I was in a pub it's just like at JFK the back of Waterloo cool. Station. Yeah, it's a JFK moment. And we got right the way around to the end and Gareth Southgate went, London. <laughs> <laughs> so that was... Tuesday, right? In our little so, preamble. Yeah, which brings us to yesterday, does it, eventually, I think. Yeah. The, the individual time trial, David. The individual yeah. Time. yeah. It was quite a straight now, already looking back just from, what, 12, 18 hours. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of, it's quite a strange time trial. Because there was the sort of, the, the best riders were scattered. The kind of, there was... It, I don't know. Was, I'm trying to get my head around it because even afterwards we were, we were kind of a little bit bamboozled by it. What, in the ITV podcast? Yeah. We did. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit lame, that was it? It was really lame. Yeah. We yeah. just kind of, we were flat, like hump day. But, um, but yeah, but I guess watching, there, were that, there was a race between Geraint and Thomas and Primoz Roglic because they're two injured favourites. Yeah. And that was almost its own little race because no one was expecting them to win yeah. because of the damage. So that, that kind of weight had been lifted off them. That's right, yeah. But you couldn't really tell. We don't, now I don't know how much that's affected them or not. It's got to, obviously. But Gary Thomas's performance really was and what he'd have wanted it to be. No. And Carapaz as well. So Carapaz was good because he's a climber. But it's still, Ineos Grenadiers is super on the back foot now. Well, Pogacar's made everyone look bad, one way oh. and another, for various different reasons. He's made everybody look not very good at it. No, he looks like it's like going back to I the mean, old days where you have that Tour de France champion who just comes in and crushes. He's Inderain who can, yeah, but he's Inderain who can attack and a climb as well, isn't he? He's a total. He's, co- he's Eno Inderain because yeah, I mean it's the fact. Let's not forget he's won Liège Bastogne Liège this year. He's right, been all right. guns blazing. 
kind of you want Cristiano Adriatico. It's it's he's just been winning. He just wins wherever he goes, really. Yeah, which is very old school Tour de France. Yesterday, he really kind of had that authority. Yep, and he looked so cool. Even afterwards, the way he was kind of had that that swagger going yeah. around the kind of podium area. Yeah, and actually looked annoyed and frustrated that he'd had a radio problem. Yeah. There was kind of, it was almost just like, it was a formality. Yeah. It was like, ooh, crikey. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted the jersey yesterday. Yeah. He really did. Because don't forget, he's only worn it once. He only wore it on the Champs-Élysées in a non-race race. So um, he wants he wants that experience, I think, of, of riding in yellow. And he's kind of impatient to assume it. Uh, but there was no way that Mathieu van der Poel was going to relinquish it no. yesterday. I mean, it was an astonishing ride. We just, I was kind of curious to see, because he's such a distinctive physical presence on a mm. bike, especially when he attacks and he sta- stamps yeah, on the pedals and all that. Awesome. He, he doesn't actually look like a cyclist. He looks like a, a rugby league player who's, who's He looks got like a, an athlete. Yeah. Because well, that's what I was saying. He just looks like an athlete. And because most cyclists are quite fragile, they're kind of jockeys on, on a scaffolding. And whereas he does look like a kind of a, a Greek kind of Olympian yeah. on a bike. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and on the bike and on the TT bike, he looks amazing. Yeah. And but what was kind of telling was the fact that they were working on his bike deep into the night last night. They had to get wheels brought back down by the Netherlands from the Netherlands. His helmet had no what? Yeah, yeah. It's always backstory. So they didn't really have, weren't really prepared for it. What? It, yeah, yeah. He wanted different wheels. What late? A last minute change. Last minute change. Had to get wheels yeah. brought down. Actually, it was a. Let me get this right. Uh, it was an Ineos. It was Cameron Worth a pair of his wheels that they borrowed. So he's an Ineos Grenadiers rider. He's the yeah. Ironman that's on their team. And then also his helmet had no decals, had no transfers, which makes me think it was a, they just scored that as well and didn't have time to put, put anything on it. And then uh, the fact they were adjusting his bike until deep into the night. He doesn't, to be frank, how does he have time to do time trialing when he's a cyclocross best in the world, MTB best in the world? When he comes on the road, he probably doesn't really have hasn't ever really trained properly for time trials or have his bike set up properly. So to do what he did today was finish fifth and hold on to the jersey against mm. the machine that's Pogaccia. It's pretty amazing. And then in his post-race interview or in the quotes afterwards, he said that, that it felt like his best day on the bike today of all year, all this year. And you're like, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Probably he's never actually done a time trial with that commitment. Yeah. I never felt what it's like to go that fast. Yeah. Because even though he finished fifth, it's probably the fastest time trial he's ever done. Yeah. And he said the crowds and Tour de France and he's in yellow. Yeah. It must have been pretty gobsmacking, to be honest. So yeah, he did a great ride. And and what was brilliant about it as well, him and his uh, his nemesis or partner in crime, Wout van Aert. Oh, they're just inseparable, aren't they? <laughs> inseparable. We actually laughed in commentary. They went through the same. They went through the first checkpoint. Locked together at exactly so it was ten forty five, wasn't it? Both of them, uh, and then the second one, one second, yeah, to Wout van Aert, and then it finished like one, one second. second. It's like, how is that <laughs> even possible? It's like a thirty minute event, a half an hour event, yeah. and they are literally. It's a race of truth. All these different, I find that just mind boggling. All yeah. different variables, all different things, and they're literally racing <laughs> at exactly the same speed. <laughs> it's yeah. like that's just yeah. what. So that's why they're always smashing each other in cyclocross yeah. and on the road. Yeah. But it, yeah. it was good. And then apart from that, Roglic, I think, did a great ride, but I can't really think of... Nah, it wasn't much to say. I don't know. They're uh, probably, you know, I think, I think yesterday our viewers probably saw it anyway. They want to probably think about today. But before we leave yesterday's yeah. time trial alone, I mean, I thought for the first time France looked a bit average. 
Yeah, it was quite an average. It was quite average. I just thought that's, a, that's an average part of France. Yeah, it was a bit um, dull. It went from. It started. It, it the start and finish kind of looped round and start. Mm. It wasn't even a town. It was a village, tiny little place, six thousand inhabitants, uh, with the most bizarre name. It's called Changer, as in everything has changed. Changer. Everything has changed. Changed utterly. A terrible beauty is born. Who's that a quote by? From. Larkin. I can't remember myself. Uh, I want to say Wilfred Owen. <laughs> I have no idea. I I just because I want to say Wilfred Owen. Wilfred Owen's a lovely name. We've got some more. We've got some more poetry coming up. But um, but the uh, finish was Laval and Laval, Laval. in my um strange research that I've been doing. You know, I was talking about Lorient and hinting. I think I've raced to uh, Laval or something. Yeah. yeah, but I've moved on. I'm straying a little bit That's from road racing at the moment. So, um, you know, I told you about, uh, you know, the stuff I've been reading about Lorient in an unconnected but not dissimilar way. Also, just before you go into this, is in the dream analysis we did last, um, yeah. in the last episode. Yeah. Slightly. I, uh, I got it slightly wrong. You did. I got it very wrong. So let's just recap, right? I had this dream that I had slugs crawling up my arms yeah. and things, and they were really upsetting me. Yeah. And you said it's because you feel like you've grown to a halt and you've got no forward momentum. You've got no big project yes. that you're looking forward to, and the slugs are dragging you down, down. or something. It like represents you your, your, your lethargy, your need to get up and do things. Whereas actually, you're doing loads of things and you're working on this book. So 1928, three. Yeah, I mean, the title was embargoed, but, you know, so that's no, fine. No, 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 no. where it is. No, yeah. no, no, the time, the era. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a roundabout. Well, you've just given away. Yeah, well, it's, it's, well, no, I haven't, actually. But, <laughs> but it's a, yeah, it's about the early 20s in a, in a roundabout kind of a way. Yeah. The early 1920s. In France. It's, it's so very, that is actually creative. a huge magnum opus project at the moment. Yeah, if I can pull off the book that I want to write, David, I will be, I will, um, I'll probably just quit. Nice. Because um, I'm so excited by it. Okay, that's brilliant. I'm so excited by it. Um, uh, but a, a very tangential and incidental sort of thing that I, I, I that has risen, uh, arisen from the research that I've been doing on this project mm. relates to Laval, where yesterday's individual time trial uh, finished. And uh, the thing, the thing that uh, the thing that was is Laval is a birthplace of um, Alfred Jarry. Is that a name that means anything to you, David? It means nothing to me. No. Alfred Jarry um, is widely acknowledged to have been the, the grandfather of Dadaism, right? What is that? Dadaism? Yeah. I was rather hoping you, hadn't, you weren't going to ask me that. Oh. Dadaism, Dadaism was the forerunner of surrealism. Right? Oh, okay. And in fact, there was an event. There was a, have you heard of a um, filmmaker, surrealist artist called Man Ray? You must have yeah. heard of Man Ray, right? Yeah, totally. Man Ray's first ever film uh, was shown one night in 1923. In a at a at a Dadaist event in a theatre in Paris, hmm. at which all sorts of strange Dadaist stuff was 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 going on, including this rather odd film that Man Ray made. And uh, Andre Breton, the father of surrealism, stormed onto the stage at one point when some dancers was doing some Dadaist dancing and started beating them all with a stick. Brilliant! And uh, everyone ended up punching each other in the face. Awesome! And that was uh, widely acknowledged to be the birth of surrealism out of the corpse of Dadaism. Huh. But before Dadaism even became a thing, uh, Alfred Jarry, <clears throat> in the late nineteenth century, wrote and performed um, a play called King Ubu Ubu Roi, right? Mm. Which is uh, now known as the the, the the archetype of symbolist theatre. It makes no sense, really. <laughs> it's a kind of extraordinary costumes, really odd language. Um, a story, uh, it's a kind of satire of the bourgeoisie, but in a really oblique and odd way. 
Alfred Jarry uh, was a proper bona fide lunatic, right? Right. He was an absinthe guzzling, raging alcoholic, insane person, mm. a fountain of creativity, um, and a son of Laval, although he's obviously got out and went to Paris as soon as he could. Mm. But uh, with a homespun philosophy um, called pataphysics, which he made up, which I've tried to understand and can't. Um, but he, uh, <clears throat> he was also an obsessive racing cyclist. Brilliant. <clears throat> he bought He's himself. ticking boxes so far to be an amazing every time he, cyclist. Every, <laughs> every time he got paid anything for any money, any commissions he got, or any patronage he received from his various different you know, mm. wealthy patrons, because he had a big reputation, he used to um, uh, spend it immediately on caviar and absinthe and champagne, Brilliant. right? And uh, so, he never, so he never had any money at all. But he wanted to buy himself a new racing bicycle. So there was one bike shop in Laval, and we're talking late 19th century, early... No, by now we're talking maybe t- turn of the century. Um, he bought this uh, Clément Lux, I think, bike. Beautiful bike. One of the best available at the time. Mm. And it cost him... And I, this sounds insane, but I don't know what the value of the franc was back then. But I want to say it cost him 500 francs, right? Wasn't I might have got that wrong. But, but um, he obviously didn't have the money to pay for it, so he arranged... He had a bit of a reputation. He arranged on a, 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 a interest-free higher purchase deal with this bike shop. Nice. And then... Um, and monthly payments spread out over five years to pay off this bike. Legend. And then he, he skipped every single payment. <laughs> and he, he died, unsurprisingly, of liver cirrhosis in his 30s. Did you see? Ended up, ended up buried in a pauper's grave. And um, his trusty, his, his, um, the only thing he owned still, even though he didn't own it, was the bike that he basically nicked from the bike shop. And um, it was then the bike was actually returned to the bike shop in lieu of... You know, so I saw a picture skip. of this on Twitter today. Of him on the bike. I put it on there. You put it on there. Was it you? I thought it was a yeah, David Guell. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, there you go. Go onto Ned Bolting's um, Twitter and you'll see the picture of the bike. Yeah. There you go. That's how closely I follow your Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was um, that was yesterday and the individual time trial. And um, that probably rounds off. Brings us on to... I, I did ask for a little bit of interactivity with our audience because mm. I think that goes down well, doesn't it? It does go down really well. Thankfully, they've got your, the catchy email address to send things to. So I remind everybody? Yeah. So it's so catchy, I might have to do it twice because I can't always mess it up. H I H how I won the yellow jumper. H I W T Y J at gmail.com. Uh, drops a line there. We're particularly keen, uh, David, I think, to hear audio contributions. Right? Yeah, they're the best ones. Um, considering the be- it's a podcast. <laughs> it buys us a bit of time in the podcast, um, primarily. Um, and we've had a few email contributions. Let's start with uh, Richard Ward, who um, from Harrogate, I think, in North Yorkshire, a place we know very well, because we were part of the UCI World Championships caravan that descended on Harrogate, churned up their immaculate um, uh, park. And alienated cycling from Harrogate a- forever. Alien- alienated the local population and all of cycling uh, that will never come right back to Harrogate. Um, uh, he he particularly enjoyed uh, Mark Cavendish's victory into Fougere the other day, and uh, he sent us this little clip. Okay, so Ned, David, I'm actually lying in bed thinking about an amazing day sport, England football, England cricket, but the thing that stays with me will be Cavs win and the emotion shown thereafter. Absolutely awesome. Fair enough. Richard, I think a lot of people would be nodding along uh, in agreement there. And then this really lovely little story from Neil Martin. Um, 
Neil wrote me an email saying, uh, I'm just clicking on it. Bonjour, Ned. Not sure if this is what you're looking for, but my dad left me this message. He's been ill and is taking steroids, not the doping kind, (laughs) which make it difficult for him to sleep. So I suggested he watched your coverage of stage two on catch up (laughs) in the twilight hours of Monday morning. I suggested this because the course went through La Côte d'Amour, a place he loves, and where he went on a camping holiday in 2019 when he was still well. I cycled to meet him there from Forest Hill, and my route took me from Saint-Brieuc to perros Guirec, as it happens, pretty much the exact same route of the first part of Stage 2. Anyway, this is the message he left me after being awake since 5. I'm a big cycling fan, but he's not. This just shows how energising and life-affirming watching a stage in the tour can be. Probably goes without saying, I don't get these voicemails every day. Thanks to you and David for the great commentary. As always, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. Cheers, Neil Martin. Well, hi, Neil. It's um, 8.15am. I've been up since just after 5. These um, steroids are really causing me uh, problems sleeping. But I've spent the time drinking tea and watching a second stage of the Tour de France and... uh, I, it's, I've just paused it because it's just gone over the winning line. It was so, I, it's just uh, been remarkable, the race. I've so very much enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you got to see it yesterday. I mean, I've enjoyed it for all kinds of reasons. Obviously, Brittany, but not only Brittany, places, you know, that I recognise that I've been to. I hope you did too. I hope it was a... Uh, a good um, trip down memory lane, as you said. Uh, and it, it just looked fantastic. I, I wanted to be there, obviously. But the race itself, whoa, these, these fellas, blimey. Uh, yeah, just fantastic. I'm glad you gave me uh, uh, a heads up. I'm glad you told me it was on. And I thoroughly enjoyed the, this, uh, uh, this wonderful race that there was today. And then finally, as an audio contribution, we've had this from um, Dean Lacohi, and that's probably not how his name is pronounced at all, um, who has written, Hi Ned, you very kindly read out my Vuelta film review. I'd forgotten we did the uh, film that's reviews. That's it was reviews. Yeah. It wasn't high... It wasn't no, it wasn't film reviews. It was reviews. Anyway, you very kindly read out my Vuelta film review last season on the podcast, so I thought I'd have a crack at a poem. Please have a listen and see what you think. I don't have the wonderful honeyed voice and lyrical... I'll come back to that, honeyed voice. Mm. I've got something to say about that. And lyrical qualities of Geraint, but I think it's quite fun. All the best to you and David, and thank you for the commentary podcast, etc. Dean. Here we go. Here's Dean's poem. So, Thomas went down, then popped back his shoulder, and Cav won again, despite being older. Hessing's in pain. He's on the rack. Froomey's been dropped. He's out the back. Caleb slid out and smashed his collarbone. Mattia struck out and won brilliantly, alone. A cyclocross star, champion du monde, raised a hand to the sky in honour of Raymond. Brent van Muur knew what a breakaway meant, studying for years under Thomas de Ghent. Sponsors get exposure over a long, hard day. B&B hotels, Lotto and Intermarché. All the big guns are here. Valverde and Port. And top domestiques like Magnus Court. Names that seem so instantly familiar. Victor Campanarts and Sylvan Dillier. Will we see breaks from the likes of Mark Hershey? 
Will Skelling hold on to the climber's jersey? Will Taddy and Primoz finish top two? Or will one of them crack on Mon two? Many k's to go before we reach Paris. Sprints between Merlia and Buhani. High in the Alps fly Quintana and Kuss, while behind go the sprinters in the autobus. Heroes will rise. Legends may fall. Full gas. On block. The team radio calls. Who sits in the wheels? Who takes their chance? We'll let the road decide at La Tour de France. Thank you, Dean. That's outstanding work. And uh, none of the rhymes were at all surprising. <laughs> no, it was excellent. Uh, thank you there. Yeah. Honeyed voice. Um, David, do you remember on our last pod, we used the word mellifluous and you said, what does that mean? Yeah. And I said, oh, I wasn't entirely sure. Well, I kind of do know what it means, but I don't know what the origins of it are. You couldn't yeah, explain mellifluous it. voice. Martin Hoff says, your French probably stretches to miel equaling honey, mm. right? From the same root, mellifluous literally means flowing like honey. Floating oh. honey would be something else that will no doubt crop up on the pod at some time. Love the pod, swearing included, happy straying to a limited extent. That's very good. So there you, go. there you go. That does actually make a lot more sense than your explanation. Yeah. Well, it's simpler. Yeah. It's got the same outcome, but that one I can understand. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, anyway, today, Chateauroux, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be... Does he, does he, does he double do up? Does he double he's up? He's got to. He's got to double up. I can't see how not. Do you remember the Do you remember the victory in two thousand and eight? I remember it clearly, clearly, clearly. <sighs> crystal clear recollections of it. I can't. remember. And everything know. that went on around it. No. I wonder where you finished that day. Don't know. I, take a look? I was still up there on GC. I think I was on sec- second in GC or third. Go have I, a look. I got third in the time trial. Miller. I look on pro cycling stats. David Miller. Uh, Oh, you have to go a long way back. 2008, right? Tour of Britain. You finished 44th on stage 8 at the Tour of Britain. <laughs> Tour de France. Chateau 49th, David. There you go. Just top 50. Respectable. Keeping it safe. Keeping it safe. Yep. Um, that's all you can remember. Well, you can't even can you remember that. Well, I've but, done a lot of races, Ned. Yeah, but were you not impressed that Mark Cavendish was this? Well, yeah, but I don't... Yeah, but it didn't... It's not an imprint in my brain. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. if I probably if I sat down and went through it, I could probably make up a memory about it. I remember interviewing him for the first time. You know, like the national broadcaster for each nationality of the rider yes. has yeah, this yeah. kind of like special access. They have yeah. to jump across into the, mm-hmm. you know, they do the international um, language yeah. kind of interview. So I had to do the world, like the world feed interview, the ones that said PK does these days mm-hmm. with this kid, Mark Cavendish, who I barely really met um, more than a handful of times. And he did his usual thing of kind of recollecting every single, you know, yeah, like, t- twist and turn in the minority stage. report. Then he then he went up on the po- podium, and then he came back down again. And I had to do one for ITV live. And then if that wasn't enough, um, I kind of thanked him and sort of congratulated him. And then Steve yeah, Dock, the hotel. Steve Dock said, "Go to the hotel. Yeah, get more Sit Cavendish down. content for the following day." And I went, "Oh no!" So we had to go and pester him at the team hotel, and eventually. Very patiently, actually, he did come out after dinner, and it was a beautiful hot evening. And it was a Campanile hotel, inevitably by a noisy mm. ring road. Mm. And we sat down on the grass outside, and we were just about to do the third interview of mm. the afternoon stroke evening about the same subject matter. Um, and we got we just got going, and I remember his phone rang, 
And he went, hang on a sec, sorry, sorry, sorry. And he went, mum, not now, I'm doing a telly interview like that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, it became very clear then that his life had changed. Yeah. Right there and right then. Yeah. yeah. Right there and right then. That's how I remember Chateau Roux. All right. Well, let's go to work. Let's go to work. <laughs>